When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the decision point. Just one week, no decision point. Where is it? Is the show off the air forever? Of course not. Of course not. Anand's here. We were just hiding. We were hiding. Hibernating, right? We taking in all the week one overreaction so we could get to the week two overreaction. We were hiding. (laughs) (laughs) We were hiding under our desk, hoping that something that we said this summer would materialize and now we've had a few things we have a few things materializing thank god something like that when the eagles started 1-0 and the steelers started 1-0 we had absolutely no desire <laughs> to go online is that what it was we had no desire to pop our heads up on a stream and talk to the public we were like ah hide run we're talking to you america <laughs> Something of this sort, man. I Yeah. I mean, the first two weeks have already been absolutely wild, right? I mean, so many things that you never in a million years would have guessed were happening are already happening. So excited to dive into it. This is the NFL. This is how the NFL works, man. Welcome yeah. to the NFL. We don't know what's going to happen, but I think, I think that I'm going to be right and... A bunch of evaluators that we talked to at Roster Watch and other shops are going to be right as well. Most notably, Thor Nystrom from NBC Sports Edge, who came on and took a flamethrower to Zach Wilson. And then you look up, and all Mac Jones is doing is taking care of the football and keeping his team in the game so they yep. have a chance to win week in, week out. And all Zach Wilson is doing is imploding in front of our eyes. If you had to guess, the Jets are sitting at that number two pick once again. They're on the clock. Do they push the button on Zach Wilson if they could do it now with all this hindsight? No. No. And I think the unfortunate part about it for Zach Wilson is... He really was one of those superstar potential, right? But developmental prospects. Developmental. That, that, that you needed, he needed time. He didn't necessarily need to time against Bill Belichick in week two with not the greatest roster around him, no. right? Like, like he's not going to look good there. And Mac Jones did enough and looked really good the first two weeks. They're not asking him to do too much. They're very much building stuff around him. And... This was going to be a mismatch from the rip. Like, I don't think anybody thought Zach Wilson was going to look good against New England. The part that I'm concerned about is he doesn't even look like he knows what he's doing. 
Like, it's not even like he's processing things, you know? Like, Herbert looked bad, really bad against New England last year. And, I mean, everybody looks bad as a rookie against Bill. It's just what he does. Um, There are, like, the splash plays that you want out of Zach Wilson, right? That you even got out of Sam Darnold as a rookie. We're waiting on those. And maybe, maybe they'll come, right? And obviously, it's a big adjustment to go from, at least, you know, when you're when you're Sam Darnold, you came from USC. That the Pac-12 is a level below the SEC, but it's not BYU, right? Like Zach Wilson's O line at BYU was probably as good, if not maybe even better, relative to competition than his Jets line is. So I'm not ready to hit the panic button yet, but I think that that when you're the if you're the Jets, you've got to sit there and think, holy shit, maybe we should have gone the route of bringing a veteran and let him sit. Because th- that's kind of where I'm at with with this is how do you expect a kid that's the highest level of competition was at BYU to come into the NFL and deal with Belichick and Flores and Josh Allen in his division? Good luck. Yeah, he hasn't even played the Buffalo defense, and they look better than both Miami and New England. Yeah, and, and I mean, I have no idea why you would throw him out like like it's one thing if you think he's ready but it's painfully clear to anybody that he's not ready and you just didn't want to have a backup plan he might just stink he might just stink because i keep i keep wondering when are we going to see it when it, the 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 wrist the wrist flick Remember the wrist flick? Everyone's like, oh, this wrist flick. Like, he's 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 scrambling around, and then he flicks yeah. it. He goes like this with his wrist. He does the wrist flick. And it just and the ball just goes perfectly the other direction uh, across the field, 60 yards directly into the, the wide receiver's hands, and he scores a touchdown easily every time. Why don't they just drop a touchdown on every play? Isn't that what he does? This is how good he is. Why I don't understand what's wrong with the Jets offensive coordinator. Why aren't they calling these touchdown passes that Zach Wilson's so capable of at every level of football? Even though we've never seen him beat a good defense in his entire football life, his entire football life has gone by. And he and his mom have yet to beat a quality NFL defense. Just one. A quality defense at any level. Not just the NFL, a quality college defense. And high school, maybe, maybe he beat one of the best high school defenses in the state, wherever he's from. Maybe he did that. And congratulations, Zach. Congratulations. None of this, none of this is justification for the second overall pick. No. With Trey Lance on the board and Justin Fields on the board and Mac Jones and and. San Francisco's deciding between, oh, we're going to go either Mac Jones, we're going to go Trey Lance, we have to decide, you know, floor versus upside, and then... They both look good, by the way. The Jets are just YOLO. The Jets should have been having that same discussion. It should have been Fields, Lance, Mac Jones. Because the thing is, the Jets can't afford to miss again. That's right, they right? can't. They, they just punted Darnold. Right. Who looks so much better than Zach Wilson? It's crazy. So let me get let me get this straight. You give up Sam Darnold for a second rounder in order to use your number two pick on Zach Wilson, who is a lesser prospect than Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold himself was not even an impressive college prospect, but at least he was more impressive than Zach Wilson. Oh, but the the ten rushing touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. Is is he a real Konami QB? Am I? Where I thought I was sold on this upside of. Zach Wilson as this athletic rusher, 
right? This yeah. mobile tactical scrambler with the wrist flick that he is like a more athletic version of Aaron Rodgers. This is what I was sold. I was sold by big media that that's what Zach <laughs> Wilson is. And I'm looking up and I'm like, this is the same guy that was at BYU who had 10 seconds to throw and was just out there playing backyard football, playing backyard football like he was the star of the Truman Show. He was the star of his own television show. The whole production of the BYU game revolved around getting Zach Wilson enough time to complete a touchdown or to part the seas so he could run 40 yards for a touchdown. No matter where Zach Wilson is on the field, we're just going to try to engineer a touchdown for this kid on each and every play. And it worked for a period of time. And it's funny, that's not how the NFL works. The NFL doesn't work that way. No. The whole production of the game is not engineered to make you look good, Zach. No, it's not. That's not how the NFL works at all. I mean, you've got to fight your way through a lot of it. But it's I'll go back to something I said on a prior episode. The the biggest problem with having a really, really, really like top echelon talent quarterback is because they've gotten away with every throw at various levels of football, they think they can get away with it in the NFL. And you'll see it early and earlier in guys' careers if they have less starts, which you know, Zach Wilson got thrown into the fire day one. Do we know what he is right now? No. No, we have no idea. We have no idea if these are Peyton Manning growing paints or or if they're if or if they're, you know, you know, you're gonna flame out in year two. It's just the thing that scares me about Wilson is they're gonna ask him to do everything and he's gonna try to do everything. And you saw what happens to even a super talent who was able to rein himself in and figure it all out and put together an MVP caliber season in a Carson Wentz. You see what happens when you ask them to do too much. You don't surround them with enough and they relearn all of the bad habits that they had to unlearn. That's my worry with Zach Wilson is are you going to ask him to do too much too soon and ruin whatever upside he has because he's not learning the things that he needs to learn. He's just trying to keep the, the boat afloat. The pick never made any sense, Anand. He's only 6'2", 215. If you were telling me that this kid from BYU who just didn't happen to play anybody had Trey Lance's physical tools, I would be like, okay, I understand this. He didn't happen to play anybody, but he's bigger, stronger, faster essentially a more accurate version of Josh Allen, yeah, chase that ceiling. Go chase that rainbow. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I supported San Francisco drafting Trey Lance for that reason. But this ain't that guy. He's not an impressive prospect. He's not physically impressive in any way except this goddamn wrist flick everybody talks about that we saw at BYU when he had 10 seconds to throw. And now I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm waiting every game. I'm looking at the the play by play logs, trying to find one of those wrist flicks, and I can't find I can't find one, man. Matt, do me a favor. Just it's just in your head. Thought experiment. Swap Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. Who's doing better right now if they're if they trade places? Mac Jones, because Mac Jones is going to create an environment where the skill position players can be more successful and they can sustain drives. They'll probably be 0-2, but it won't be as bad. You think he's going to turn the ball over four times? It won't look like this. 
No. Think he's going to throw seven interceptable passes in a single game, even against the most stifling secondary in the NFL? No, that's not what Mac Jones is going to do. Mac Jones also has arm talent. See, that's the thing. That's what was so offensive about this Zach Wilson catastrophic selection at two. I live in the New York metro area, and I talked to Jets fans. I said, listen, guys, I know you're excited. The media is behind this guy, and his mom is an interesting character. That she is. But you, you have to understand, like, what a risk this is. This was an incredible risk to take. Huge, huge, huge risk at two overall. There hasn't been a risk taken this high in the NFL draft since Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was not even an efficient thrower at North Dakota State. It was an incredible risk. I didn't agree with it at the time. I criticized it at the time. I said, this is a weak quarterback class. Taking Goff and Wentz 1-2 is just need-based drafting. It's not because they're the best players available in the draft. They're not. No. There's other ways to build a roster other than running out and getting the best available quarterback in whatever right. draft you're selecting in next. Like, right. And I the think Lions, I, we, we respect what the Lions are doing so much because they didn't do that. They held back and they said, no, we're going to take the signature building block piece that will make our eventual quarterback more successful in Penny Sewell. They did it the right way. They said, we're going to be more patient. We're going to take some losses and we're going to and have also, some lost seasons even. Well, the other thing, too, is a lot of it was was, you know, kind of handed to them based on how other people drafted, right? We don't know if they would have gone Jalen Waddle had he been available. We don't know what they would have done. A lot of this sometimes, sometimes other teams take the grenade out of your hand, right? And you get lucky with someone else taking someone that you would have taken. For example, right now, you, whoever you are listening to this, watching this, whatever you're doing, if you're hearing my voice, you have more NFL receiving yards than Kadarius Tony. You do. He has negative two receiving yards in the NFL. <laughs> and you think that we're delusional because we believe, honestly, sincerely, that we could run NFL teams better than some of these general managers. And I give you exhibit A, Kadarius Tony. Right. And I think like the the thing was Jacksonville drafting ETN was bad enough. Apparently they wanted Kadarius Tony too. <laughs> Guys, that's not the team to model after. You don't want to model after that particular team. No, 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 no. Guys, I'm not even mad at you for the type of player that you're trying to go get. The guy you want to go get is Rondale Moore. Urban, you watched him run all over you. All over you as a freshman. Look at what Rondale Moore is doing in Arizona. Like, it's just, it's the simple things where it's, hey, this guy really produced in college. Terrace Marshall. Yeah, this is why I don't draft wide receivers in the first round. If I were an NFL general manager, I'm going to do all my wide receiver shopping in the mid-second round for the Rondell Moores and the Terrace Marshalls. And Kyle Shanahan got lucky. He got lucky. They, they all got lucky there in San Francisco that that particular grenade, the Zach Wilson grenade, was taken out of their hand. They didn't have to make that decision. Yep. Because if all the reports were coming out that Joe Douglas was locked in on Trey Lance or Mac Jones, then the question would fall to Kyle Shanahan. Are yep. we going to go Zach Wilson? Are we going to go 
Mac Jones. I really, I wish, I wish that would have been the decision because that's the decision that, that Joe Douglas had in front of him. He could have selected Mac Jones. Kyle Shanahan was considering him at three, right? Yeah. So they could have easily selected Mac Jones at two. And if we look up and Mac Jones was the number two overall pick, 10 years from now, Mac Jones has just as good of a chance to be the most productive, best quarterback from this class as Trevor Lawrence. He's won the job outright in week one, and no quarterback has been as efficient. Now, the, the depth of target has been incredibly low, Yeah. right? So he's been keeping the ball very close to the line of scrimmage because that's where the weapons are, right? He has Hunter Henry and John U. Smith and James White. That's where he has an advantage, where Nelson Aguilar, in terms of the NFL starters around the league, he's below average as an NFL starter. He's above average as an NFL backup. Jacoby Myers, a little above replacement level. So they're both moderately above replacement, whereas a James White, a John U. Smith, a Hunter Henry, they're significantly above replacement definitely across the league when you look at the tight end position, you look at satellite backs. So that makes sense that that's where Mac Jones is focusing his attention. It's not because he doesn't have the arm talent. It's not like he's afraid. No, he's not afraid. He's not afraid. I think a lot of New England's offense operates on whatever you give us that's cheaper than the rest of the pieces that are out there. We're just going to use them and bludgeon you to death with it, right? If you don't value linebackers, we're going to get steals on linebackers and you're not going to be able to do anything against us. If you guys want to spend a whole bunch of money on receivers, we're going to go get all the tight ends and just five-yard pass you to death. Nobody wants James White? All right, we'll pay him again, take him, and he'll catch 80 balls for us because why not? We'll go draft Damian Harris because we didn't like what Sony Michelle did for us and bludgeon you to death with that. All Mac Jones really has to do for this to be a playoff team is not sink the ship. And I think the reason that there's such a like there's such a dissonance between what you see with Mac Jones and what you see with Zach Wilson is I think the Jets are asking Zach Wilson, "Hey, can you save the franchise?" Whereas they're on, the only thing they're asking Mac Jones in New England is, "Hey, don't screw this up." We've got a good thing going. We've got you a few targets that you like. We've got you running back that's pretty good. Defense is really good. Coaching staff's really good. Just don't screw it up. Whereas Zach Wilson is going to learn a lot of really bad habits this year that I'm not thrilled about just because he's going to make, I think at least, he's going to make a few of those really splash plays where you're like, whoa, look at that guy, right? Where, where, where you get Matt's patented wrist flick. The wrist flick. Oh, the, 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 the mythical wrist flick, right? This is exactly what we heard about Carson Wentz, by the way. When I was listening to analysis of Zach Wilson, it was like Carson Wentz deja vu. All the things that NFL evaluators were telling themselves to convince them that Zach Wilson was worthy of a top five pick, everything you heard about Carson Wentz coming out, like, we understand he hasn't beaten anybody we understand yep. he's never actually been tested by a defense that's worth a damn, but here's why we think he can succeed. Here's why his game will translate. That guy is a developmental prospect. Had Carson Wentz been selected in the second round and been eased into the NFL, he might be a wildly successful quarterback right now. He might be considered a franchise quarterback. Yep. But the Eagles threw him right into it, and... He is both physically and mentally broken at this point. Yeah. The reason why Carson Wentz's 
target depth has been shallow this year is not the injuries or the offensive line. It's that he sees ghosts now. I don't know if he'll ever get it back. I doubt it. I don't know how it works. I've never been an NFL quarterback. I don't know if you can recapture. It seems like it's possible based on what's going on with Sam Darnold. Maybe it can be. Maybe it can be rehabilitated. But we're at the second stop in the Carson Wentz saga. Is it the third team that's going to actually fix him? I don't think he's fixable. I don't think that is fixable because it's not an arm talent issue. Everyone talked about Carson Wentz having one of the greatest arms in the history of college football, that he had one of the strongest arms NFL evaluators had ever seen, and that was the case for Carson Wentz coming out. As a developmental prospect, he should have gone in the teens at the earliest, at least with Josh Allen as a developmental prospect. He had everything that Carson Wentz had coming out of North Dakota State, just more. Just yeah. more of it. Just bigger, stronger, faster than Carson Wentz. So if you're going to take Josh Allen at six, seven, eight, if you're evaluating all these prospects fairly across years, that means Carson Wentz at best would have been picked in the late teens. Yeah. And if you're evaluating Zach Wilson objectively, that's where he should have been selected. There's been a whole history of quarterbacks that had those tools that hadn't played anybody and were essentially black box prospects where you don't really know what you're getting. NFL evaluators didn't know what they were getting in Aaron Rodgers. They put a lot of faith in those physical tools because he wasn't that productive at Cal. He wasn't that impressive. Had to have everything rebuilt. Their football people loved him and they pushed the button even though they had Brett Favre and it worked out. Players like that, that may or may not translate, they could hit in the biggest way or they could bust hard and be on a different team in two years. They belong in the teens and 20s of the first round. It was simply objectively irresponsible for Joe Douglas to select Zach Wilson at two. And after two games, it's already clear. I'm saying it's already clear, like, oh, it's only two games. No, it's already clear. It's already clear. When you look at what Mac Jones is doing versus Zach Wilson, it's already clear, because I agree with you. If Mac Jones were a Jet, he would be managing the game, and we would be seeing flashes of what will be a franchise-caliber NFL quarterback for many years to come that we're not seeing with Zach Wilson. Yeah, and, and I think... We're going to have to give him the year to ride it out, right? I mean, like, there, there's no reason to pull the plug on the experiment or do anything brash. It's just we're going to we're going to see by the end of the year. By the end of the year, we're going to know a lot more about what Zach Wilson is and isn't as a prospect. Whereas Mac Jones, we already have confirmation pretty much of he's the guy we thought he was. Can someone explain to me how he fell into the teens? Because it doesn't make any sense. He had the physical tools. He has great arm strength. Those that went to the Senior Bowl confirmed this. Those that watched him in drills confirmed this. He can sling the ball out to the boundary no problem. He's an incredibly fast processor. His ball placement was some of the best we've ever seen in the history of college football. And he was an above-average athlete. Above-average burst and agility coming out. Like, not exceptional, but above average, certainly yeah. much more athletic than the stoic pocket passers of the past like Matt Ryan and Phillip Rivers. So what was I missing 
with Mac Jones? Well, it turns out what Kyle Shanahan missed, what Bill Belichick didn't miss, and what I didn't miss was that it turns out, oh, actually, those are all the things you need, and he's going to be great. Well, see, Matt, the thing is, when we went into this uh, you know, post-draft after all of this stuff went down, after everybody had been selected, before we saw a snap of Zach Wilson, heard anything from training camp, whatever, my question was immediately, Trevor Lawrence is the number one QB in this class. I don't think anybody can argue that or would argue that. But from there, there were three guys that I thought were in a tier by themselves, where it was Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. What I didn't understand was when did Zach Wilson take the meteoric rise above all three of them, right? Because the thing is, you could take Fields at two and no one would have left. You could have taken Lance at two and nobody would have sweated anything. Fields at two would have made sense. It should have gone. Here's, what it should, here's how it should have gone. It should have gone Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. That's how it should have gone. And then... Trey Lance is the type of player that goes anywhere between 5 to 15. Josh Allen level talent. That's where they typically go. That's where they should go. Yeah. And then a Zach Wilson would go 18 to 25. Yeah. And and I think here's the question that I, I that I find myself asked occasionally, like that I ask myself sometimes, is if things went down the way that I think they should have, which is Justin Fields is a Jet, Mac Jones is a Niner, Trey Lance is a Chicago Bear, given, you know, how teams maneuvered, whatever, right? Does Bill Belichick take Zach Wilson at 15? I don't know. I don't know. I doubt it. He's looked at quarterbacks like Zach Wilson in the eye before and said, now we're going to wait till the second round. We're going to wait till the second round to get a Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to wait. Because the thing is, that's, that's my question, is if Zach Wilson somehow landed at 15 and is sitting there for New England, I don't know that that's auto-smash that they take him, right? Whereas we were all sitting there saying, if Mac Jones somehow falls to 15, they're going to take him, and it doesn't matter who else is on there. Well, we know that Bill Belichick's best friend is Nick Saban. Yeah. Like, they go and hang (laughs) out at each other's houses every offseason. Yeah. Two of the smartest defensive coaches ever, and what do they want from their guy? A guy that doesn't turn the ball over. And a guy that executes the offense the way that they want it. And when Bill Belichick had the opportunity to select an Alabama player, every time he does, it always hits because he goes to Nick Saban and gets the truth. In that documentary where the two coaches are sitting down talking to each other on HBO, Nick Saban said something fascinating to me. He's like, you'd be surprised. You'd be shocked, Bill. The number of teams that select Alabama players and never even pick up the phone and call me. I would always take their call. Joe Douglas calls me. I'm going to talk to him about Mac Jones. I'm going to explain to him why he needs to take Mac Jones over Zach Wilson. But these guys don't call me. There's a handful of coaches around the league that will call me. And, and I'll give them my honest opinion. And, and they don't call. They don't fucking call. You don't call him. How do you not call him? What is wrong with you? The ego-soaked nature of the general manager chair. How these people make decisions is embarrassing. It's embarrassing how ego-soaked they are. Because if they would just infuse some modesty and some empathy into the process, 
they would go out like super forecasters do and ask as many people who have touch points with these prospects about them and understand them in a deep way heading into the draft. But they don't. They just get on the clock and these fuckers improvise. They just improvise. They've never they've never even talked to Nick Saban about this player and they're just going to push the button on him. Like are are you insane? That doesn't even make sense, but more than that, if you haven't talked to a player's position coach from the school that they went to, you have done 0% of the due diligence to keep your job because nobody is going to know Justin Fields better than Corey Dennis, Ohio State's quarterbacks coach. Nobody is going to know, you know, any Alabama DB better than Nick Saban. I don't care who their position coach by tag is. You go to Nick Saban for that, right? If you're worried about any of the, like, 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 you know, what are you doing if you don't reach out to these people and find out, all right, you hear all of these things about these prospects. And remember, you're grading out three, four hundred guys a year, right? But if you're considering a first or second round pick on somebody, for the love of God, you really have to do your homework on who they are, what they're doing, how they're going about things. It's just, it's so hard for me to think that casually, you know, you're just going to go up there and be like, ah, we think he's good. We we, we, we scouted him. We're good. We're, we're going to take him in the top 10. That's how arrogant they are. You know this. You know the level of self-confidence to the point of arrogance that these leaders of men can have and sometimes do acquire over time. I think it's an acquired condition. Well, maybe it's confirmation bias, maybe. I think it's acquired over time. I think if you have enough yes men, enough sycophants around you for enough time, eventually you start believing it. You start believing what the reporters are saying you start believing all the praise and and the criticism starts to melt away and you look around and suddenly there's not a single person that you trust that will give it to you straight that is a dangerous place to be man that is a very dangerous place to be and a lot of these NFL general managers and executives they find themselves in that place and it's hugely damaging think about John Gruden, guarantee John Gruden, Mike Mayock never had a conversation with Nick Saban about Henry Ruggs. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Because had they had that conversation, they would have selected Jerry Judy. You know it, right? It's it's clear. They didn't. They just saw what Ruggs was on film and what their scouts were saying and thought, hey, we're infallible. We know more than everyone else. We don't need to talk to Nick Saban. Nick Saban has his own biases. We know these players. We're going to go ahead and select Henry Ruggs. And it's like, brah, I'm sure you could have called him and he would have told you, uh, that doesn't make any sense. I would not do that. Jerry Judy is a much better player. And not just if you need a deep threat, Jerry Judy also has speed. He can play that role. So yeah. what are you doing? It's just, it's, I think a big part of it, right, is, the Raiders are a weird organization and they just take their guy, which is to me, uh, I don't want to necessarily call it the worst approach that I've seen, but it's up there where it's just, Hey, we like this guy and we think he's a top five prospect, even though most people have him in the fifties, you know, you like, you're going to lose a lot of accrued draft capital over years and even over a single draft doing things like that. And the heartbreaking part about it, if you're a Raiders fan is, 
your team is pretty good. Like, they're not horribly, horribly far away from making a consistent playoff push. It's just the offense has been good enough. The defense has been so, so bad that it really doesn't matter how good the offense is. And the fact that they haven't done anything really to to address that other than, hey, we're going to take our guys early in drafts, you cannot keep whiffing on first-round defenders. And I don't just mean whiffing in terms of, hey, like they're probably third or fourth round talents that we took in round one. I'm talking about guys that aren't even on your team anymore. Like you can't consistently miss on defense that often and expect the offense to just stay as good forever. It's that fallacy that we were talking about where everything is as good as you think it was last year. And then everything else gets better. It doesn't work that way. Something's going to get worse. Something's going to get better. It's why when we were talking about this earlier, It's why we said there's a cautionary tale about Tampa Bay, right? Everything worked out perfectly last year. Health worked out perfectly. There were were not really as much competition within the division as they thought there would be. There's a lot of stuff there that's going to change this year. And if you assume that you're the only team that got better at certain things, you're relative to other teams going to fall off in certain categories. And that's really how you see the decline. It's not necessarily that your players got worse. It's that other people got more better, so to speak. We have someone in the chat talking about Zach Wilson's fantasy performance in week one. Like, oh, he had 20 fantasy points. So why are you guys talking about him? He's fine. He's fine. Yeah. Listen, that one game against New England was that bad. It was that bad, and it was a giant warning flare in the sky, and this is not a fantasy show. We have plenty of fantasy content. Every single day, we're releasing fantasy content across our channels. This show is about NFL front offices, not fantasy football, brah. Right. So you can go pound sand, whoever the hell you are, not even knowing what show you're watching. Now, the Raiders are 2-0, so whatever they're doing is working right now. Yeah. And we are trending wrong because we said that the Raiders were one of the three worst front offices in the league, and they're turning over this card, playing the result, saying, we're 2-0, you guys are wrong. We're trending wrong with the Raiders. Somehow, some way, it looks like Derek Carr has turned a corner at close to age 30. That's why I said it's not out of the realm of possibility that Carson Wentz turns it around. Right, it's not. But he's on his second team. At least with Derek Carr, there's been continuity. He's been on the Raiders since he was drafted. So there wasn't those kinds of concerns that this player is physically or mentally broken like there was with Carson Wentz. So how do you see this playing out? Because the Raiders are in the same division as the Chargers and the Chiefs. It's just very hard for me to get my head around the Raiders as a playoff team. It's hard for me to wrap my head around, too. Um, It's Obviously, you know, this division games are weird. Um, The Raiders could absolutely beat the Chiefs or the Chargers on any given day. Um, Now, do I think that they can consistently do it? Probably not. And it's probably going to take them splitting three and three across their division in order to even have a shot, which is going to either require them to sweep the Broncos, who look really good right now, or split among all three one and one. So, 
selling me the Raiders as a playoff team is tough, but I think they're starting to understand what the problem was. And the problem for them for years has not been the offense. There's never been an offensive problem in Vegas. The problem is the defense is so bad that it doesn't matter what the offense does, right? And only teams that are hyper-efficient, like Kansas City, or like Tampa Bay, or like you know 2018 LA Rams— can overcome a defense that sometimes is suspect because the offense is so good. You're going to have to have at least a league average competent defense in order to do anything. And a big part of that is they're finally, finally getting pressure with their front four. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what it required. I don't know what changed, but Max Crosby looks good. I mean, like they, a lot of their pieces are finally developing, which leads me to believe maybe, maybe it just took some time. Maybe their developmental process is just a little slower than other teams. But, you know, as long as their defense can be average, they can be a really good team. That's not a team that you want to play because they run over people, man. That's a tough, tough team to play. It's just, I don't know that that, that that toughness and the offense being pretty good and the defense being average is going to translate enough to beating the Broncos, the Chargers, the Chiefs in order for them to make the playoffs. So I wouldn't want to play the Raiders. The Raiders could still go 0-6 in their division very easily. Could very easily see them going 0-6. The Chargers are more talented across the board. The Chiefs are the Chiefs. They're the defending AFC champions and the Denver Broncos look like one of the most improved franchises in the sport because they're getting efficient quarterback play and that was the one big missing piece from last season so I'm selling high on the Raiders if I have the Raiders I'm selling high I don't know what platform you would buy the Raiders and sell the Raiders now but if I if that if that existed I would sell the Raiders right now now would be the time I, I I'm still skeptical and I've always been skeptical of the Steelers, as you know. And big exhale. Yeah. When they lose week two, huge exhale. And now it looks like Ben Roethlisberger has a chest, pectoral, shoulder issue on his non-throwing shoulder. He's probably going to be out there, and he's probably not going to finish the game. As I predicted, he's not going to finish the season you're going to see a lot more Mason Rudolph than you might have expected. If you're in a two-quarterback or super flex league, you need to be picking up Mason Rudolph. You should already have him. I already have him in a bunch of these leagues already. You should have him as well because they do have great weapons. If you can throw the ball to Juju and Deontay and Claypool and Fryermuth and Najee Harris, well, even a pocket passer like Mason Rudolph is going to have success. He's going to be playable in super flex in two quarterback leagues. And then at the end of the year, I predict Dwayne Haskins starts week 17, week 18 for the Steelers because they're not going to be in playoff contention. It's over. They just don't know it's over. Looking back, Steelers fans will have wished they had lost to the Bills and they had come to Jesus faster. That win in week one was just devastating in that it infused this organization with false hope. And it's going to take them many more weeks to come to terms with their mediocrity. I think the question here is going to be, what Ben Roethlisberger are you going to get the rest of the year? And the second question is, how healthy is he going to be, right? Because if I'm, if I'm Pittsburgh, right? Right now, 
I don't care if he has a pec injury or if he stubbed his pinky toe. If he's not 100%, I'm not putting him out there because their best chance at winning anything late in the year is a healthy Ben Roethlisberger. I think every even even anybody that thinks he's cooked would agree with a fully healthy Ben Roethlisberger is their best quarterback option. So I don't care about week three. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't. If you lose to the Bengals, so be it. They're going to lose. Who cares? They're going to lose. Who cares? Who cares? Right? Like, throw Rudolph out there. Throw Haskins out there. I would personally throw Haskins out there because I think we've seen all you need to from Rudolph and what he is and what he can be. Right? At least give Haskins a few live game reps and see what you got. But that's just me. Why would you risk the health of Ben Roethlisberger in a game against the Bengals where you know how good your coaching staff is, you know how good your defense is, you know how good your offensive weapons are? I don't understand why you would risk him at this point in the year. Sit him. Just sit him. Sit him Sit him as far away from the training facility as humanly possible. Let him get healthy for, for three, four, five weeks, whatever it takes, because they're good enough to win games. They're good enough to win games without him. The question is, can they win anything of significance without him? The answer to that question is absolutely not. It's interesting when you look at the seeding for the playoffs, if we play this out, because the AFC West is so strong, I think we're going to have at least one wild card team come out of the AFC West. Maybe two. Maybe two. I think Denver is going to start putting pressure on Baltimore and Pittsburgh and New England for who's going to be that second wild card team. Right. And the thing is, if Baltimore is able to beat Cleveland, that's going to be the big question. I think that we were looking at potentially three teams coming out of the AFC North, but now I'm not surprised. The Browns are the only team with a positive point differential. Yeah. And and I think Baltimore's kind of found their identity in week two. I hope so. And and, and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with because I think they've they've just decided, hey, we are what the Jets are trying to let Zach Wilson do and he's not capable of doing is what the Ravens are letting Lamar do and he is capable of doing, which is, hey, buddy, we have no running backs. Throw on the Superman cape and go get us a win. And the team that he beat is no slouch, right? I mean, across any betting odds book that you go find, Kansas City is the favorite to win the Super Bowl. There was nobody in their right mind picked Baltimore down to their fourth running back with a litany of injuries across the entire roster. Nobody had them in that game, much less winning. So... The fact that Lamar was able to do that leads me to believe, hey, Cleveland, if you don't bring your A game, they're just going to run right over you. They're just going to run right over them, right? And Cleveland, to me, early on, like preseason, Cleveland, to me, was the team that I thought had the best roster in the AFC. And I still think they do. But the defense isn't playing like it. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think they do. I think think they're going to have their hands full trying to make the playoffs. I think they have to beat Baltimore to win the division. And if they don't, if they don't, they're going to have to have a better record than either the Broncos or the Patriots. And the Patriots are in the AFC East. So they've got two games against the Jets. And they've got probably going to beat the Dolphins next time they play, they face them. So it's, it's, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be a tricky thing for two teams now to come out of the AFC North, where I thought that was a lock. I thought that was an absolute lock coming into the season. 
I'm not so sure anymore. And just um, exhale, because that was my big take. My big team take was the Steelers are overrated, and it looks like that's still true. Your big take was the Eagles were one of the worst franchises in the league, one of the least talented rosters, and they needed to blow it up. How do you feel about that position through two weeks? Uh, Jalen's played better than I thought he would. So, so first off, first and foremost, Jalen's been better than advertised. And their O and D lines, when healthy, you know, can push people around. And that's what they did to Atlanta. They abused Atlanta. I, I mean, that was just a mismatch from the word go. Are you sure Jalen Hurts has played better than advertised? He's been disappointing for me. He's missed my expectations for him, I can tell you that. So the thing for me is, like, I'm not necessarily worried about fantasy production or anything of that matter. It was more so, like, can you make the throws on third down when when, when you need to throw, right? Because that's kind of the barometer between a, are you a mobile quarterback who's a spot starter versus are you a quarterback who's mobile? There's a difference, right? Like, we found out that Lamar Jackson is a quarterback who's mobile. We found out that Kyler Murray is a quarterback who's mobile. Tyrod Taylor early in the year kind of started to look like a quarterback who's mobile instead of just a spot starter. So, like, in order to see it from Jalen, obviously I've got to see it for longer, but he's trending towards the they're going to have a decision. Because for me, preseason, based on what I saw at the end of last year, it was very simple. Jalen Hurts is your starter until you cast him aside for Watson or Rodgers or whoever you can go get, right? There are there are positive signs where he's trending in the right direction in certain things. I think it's just going to be a wait and see. I still don't love Philly. I really don't think that they, they're going to compete for much of anything other than the division because the division is so bad. Um, I, you're not favoring the the Eagles aren't going to have less than a seven point spread against any playoff team in the NFC or maybe even the AFC. Right. Like, I just don't think that that's a very good football team yet. Um, they showed a lot more than I thought they would. And Atlanta's hapless. Listen, listen, I know. This is the problem. Look who they faced. San Francisco has one of the worst secondaries in the league. That's their Achilles heel. They don't have any corners. Neither does Atlanta, one of the worst secondaries in the league. So if Jalen Hurts is going to go face two of the worst secondaries, and we're going to look up, and he's outside the top 24 quarterbacks in total passing yards— and his deep ball and his pressured completion percentages are both below 40%, I'm worried. What is he going to do against good defenses? If this is what he's doing against bad secondaries, how is Jalen Hurts going to look against a quality secondary? That's my concern. So when I look at these first two weeks in context with Jalen Hurts, I'm not sure if he's a backup quarterback with mobility, if he's Jacoby Brissett, or if he's Lamar Jackson. I don't know. I don't know. I hope he's closer to Lamar Jackson. I hope so, too. We'll see. We'll see, man. This is a take that I desperately want to be wrong about. I want to be wrong about this because I've the only things that I've ever heard about the kid are that he's a super hard worker. He's an ideal teammate. He's a locker room guy. Just everything you want in a quarterback except for production on the field right so that's what we're waiting to see everything else we love about the kid right raved about at Alabama at Oklahoma like like there's nothing character wise toughness wise none of those questions exist with this kid where they do exist with other guys 
pretty much what we're waiting to see is can he be an efficient passer when he's forced to pass? That was the barometer for Murray. That was the barometer for Jackson. That was the barometer for Michael Vick. If you're even Cam Newton, can you be... Josh Allen confirmed it last year that he can deliver. Right. Can you be enough of a passer? Because you don't have to be... Aaron Rodgers. You just have to be enough of a passer that on third and eight, when you have to throw, you can. That's what we're waiting to see. That's all we're waiting to see. I need to say it. Other than that, I think thus far he's been all right. He's been all right. He's been okay. In context, he's been just okay. Unfortunately, our favorite general managers together are 0-4. Rick Spielman, 0-2. In fairness, They've given up as many points as they've scored. It's been unlucky, missed field goals, bad luck, bad luck, bad luck. They could be easily 2-0, right? The Colts, the Colts, eh, eh. Carson. Eh. Oh, man. Eh. Chris Ballard, does he have a plan? What's his plan, man? P- tell me Chris Ballard has a plan because this was <laughs> supposedly a top three general manager in the league. Anand, tell me he has a plan. He's got to have a plan, right? And I don't know what the plan is. But if the plan is Carson Wentz's plan 1A, 1B, 1C, you're asking a lot of a guy who did not look good last year, who you traded quite a bit for, more than anybody thought you would trade for him. Is this just the most well-disguised tank season? Maybe. 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 That's the hope. That's the hope because this is not a playoff team. And if you're not a playoff team, if you can't be first or you can't make the playoffs, be last. Be last, man. Come on, Chris. Be last. It could turn out that he really is just a master genius guy, and they finish bottom five, and they draft one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Who do you think are the three best quarterback prospects heading into 2022? I keep People keep giving me Spencer Rattler. I, I, I refuse to entertain that just because everything that I've seen of him leads me to believe that that's not somebody that I love as a prospect. So I'm going to exclude him. The three guys that I really like right now, Malik Willis at Liberty, whole lot of fun to watch. Um, Carson Strong at Nevada, really, really, really interesting. But my number one guy, the guy that I'm caping up for ride or die is Matt Corral at Ole Miss because the fun, the fun is so much fun, Matt. You can't corral this guy. No. See, the thing is, Anand, you can't corral him. No. He's got a lot. He's got, like, he's like supreme Carson Wentz. Everybody's some version of Carson Wentz. Right? The the ridiculous is so ridiculous where you're like, oh, my God, how? How did you do that? And the bad is, Matt, you had a dump off for 20 yards. Why are you throwing 60-yard lasers to the other team? He's just, he's so exciting, and I want to see what happens the rest of the year. But those are the three guys that I'm watching Willis, Strong, and, and, um, and Matt Corral. So th- those three I really like. They might say, hey, you just described Zach Wilson. Yeah, but, yeah, but see, the thing is, here, here's the thing Matt Corral is an SEC quarterback, and that makes all the difference. <laughs> he did it to Bama last year. Yeah, that, 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 that makes all the difference. Now, we were right. About Dave Gettleman. So far, the Giants are 0-2, and they look abysmal. They really, they really, 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 really could have used Rashawn Slater. Dave Gettleman picked the worst possible spot to trade down when you need that left tackle 
and you have one available to you, a franchise anchor left tackle, that's actually not the time to trade down. I'm open to trading down at every opportunity, except when Rashawn Slater is within your grasp, is just there, falls to you. Just like if the Patriots had traded down with Mac Jones on the board, that would have been catastrophic. 99% of the time, the move is trade down, but in those particular instances, you stay and you draft the guy that can help your team, not Kadarius fucking Tony. When will the Giants move on from Gettleman? I would hope at the end of this year because there are promising signs. Like, like, look. Really? The the job of a GM, the job of a GM is to assemble talent. The The Giants roster is just talent direct at, at, at all over the place, right? The O-line needs help. The quarterback's not very good. The running back is generational, but how much does that matter? Your receiving core is pretty good. Well, Daniel Jones has played well. Played well relatively. In the context of having no protection, I think he's played pretty damn well. Right. But the question is, are you going to pay him a boatload of money? Do you feel good about doing that? Because if you drafted him in the top 10 overall, what you're telling me is, we believe this is a second, third, fourth contract guy. And right now, what Daniel Jones is, is the best running back for the New York football giants. That, like more than, more than anything else, poor Saquon Barkley, man. Daniel's just taken off with the damn thing. And like, look... Sterling Shepard looks pretty good. Darius Slayton looks pretty good. Oh, come it's on. Just, it's, just, it's just, sell me something about the New York Giants that I love. There are a lot of things that I'm like, oh, okay, they're pretty good here. Spending all that money on Kenny Galladay when they should have been using it on Corey Lindsley is why Dave Gettleman needs to go find a job doing anything other than player personnel in the NFL. Yeah, it's bad, and it's. I don't know that it's going to get any better until they let him go. Um, but you know, like you, yeah. And the thing is, like you could see towards the end of the of last year, that team really rallied around Joe Judge, right? Like it, they played hard for their coach. It's not like they're out there getting embarrassed. It's just they don't have the talent to compete with the teams in their division, which is bad because their division isn't good. Like. If if you're in a mismatch in your own division and everybody thinks your your division is the worst division in football, then what are we talking about here, right? Like, as bad as we think certain other teams in that division are, they're probably the worst among them thus far. Because I mean, even the Eagles were hammering the Falcons around. So I I don't know I don't know what to make of the Giants. Um, I, I think Gettleman has to go. And I mean, I, we're too late on that as of this point because he should have been gone a while ago. But I mean, there are just some things that you just you, you stare at and you're like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. And, 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 and Jason Garrett is the new Adam Gaze, just the punchline offensive coordinator. They almost beat Washington. That was a good game. They could have beat him. They should have beat him. We don't know how this division's going to shake out. I think Washington and Dallas are better than New York, but not by a lot. Had Dave Gettleman just made different decisions in the draft and in free agency the last two years, they could easily be on a trajectory to win this division. Easily. Where we could be looking at them and saying, hey, yeah, this is definitely the best team in the division. It's going to be close between them and Washington and Dallas, but across the board, just New York has more talent. It was all there for them, and to be so squandered... It was there for the taking. It was just squandered so 
overtly, just in the first round, just in your face with this Kadarius Tony, just big, bloated contract overpaying Kenny Galladay. It's just, it's too much, man. It's too much. In New York, it's just too much. You just got to get rid of that guy. You got to start fresh. I don't know what you do with a, a team like that. If you were coming in as a general manager, taking over for Gettleman, what would you do? What do you do, man? Because they're in purgatory right now. They're in talent purgatory. They're in quarterback purgatory. What do you do? I think the first thing that you have to do is, like, job number one, you're coming into a new spot. Somebody else's decisions are already attached to your name, right, to an extent. Because you've got to decide what to do with all the players and contracts on this team. The number one thing whoever takes over for Gettleman is going to have to understand is you're you're this is not Green Bay, buddy. You are in the New York media market, and that means immediately you need to make splash decisions that you know will hit. And that means essentially, I would do whatever it takes to get a quarterback that I know will succeed. No, see that's wrong. See, I know that that's the pressure that they face. But you have to have a leader that has the job security to say no to that pressure, to push back against that pressure, to say, no, we're going to be bad for a couple years. Be honest with the New York media. See, the, the thing is, you need to give members of the media more credit that they appreciate straight talk. If you explain to them, this is how we're going to build a franchise that's going to endure, not microwave a nine and eight record, they will give you the benefit of the doubt if you provide the rationale and that you lay it out clearly that hey, we're gonna we're gonna wait to get to take a quarterback and we're gonna build this thing. Right. And you show that mutual respect, right? The members of the media are so used to being talked down to, like they are now with Jason Garrett in particular. He's such a right? He's just such a you don't talk to people like that. Like, I don't even love the media, right? But I am a, technically, we are members of the media, right? We are an approved NFL media organization by NFL Communications. We can go to games and sit in the press box. And yell at people. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're part of it. We're part of it. I don't have this towering respect for the ivory tower that is you know, big sports media. Absolutely not. But it's still offensive to me the way some of these coaches and general managers talk to members of the media. And so I think that would be critical. If you could have some deference and be sincere and transparent with your intentions, then I think that would buy you multiple years to build this thing the right way like they are in Detroit. That's the beauty of of being in Detroit. That's the luxury they have and they're taking advantage of it where they're outside that big city spotlight and they can just kind of retool without a lot of big expectations and without that pressure. So that's the best way to do it. You can't extend Daniel Jones in this environment. You have to let him go. You have to get as much as you can for him like the Jets did with Darnold, like the Rams did with Goff, like the Eagles did with Wentz. You just have to let these quarterbacks go and get as much as you can for them because you can't optimize what Daniel Jones brings to the table. He's much better 
on a team that can compete for a Super Bowl. That's where he belongs. He belongs, and he deserves that opportunity. If you're in New York, you want to try to blow it up as fast as possible and start rebuilding as fast as possible, and that means getting as many picks as you can and starting at the ground floor where you have to start, which is offensive line, which is exactly where Detroit started, and you look up and... Detroit's plan is working out perfectly. Everything is working out exactly how they drew it up. In fact, it's even more encouraging than I expected in that they're scoring points. They've already scored 50 points this year. They're just giving up a million points, and that's fine because you want to bring in those final defensive pieces when you're ready to go compete for a Super Bowl. Go ahead and and let your players accrue some value. The beauty is you can pump and dump some offensive players that are putting up video game numbers. That's the move. This is the same reason why NBA teams that are rebuilding want game scores that are 135 to 130 because then those players have more trade value. So I love everything they're doing in Detroit, and it's one of the best 0-2 starts you could hope for from a rebuilding franchise. Yeah, and I think the going back to what you were saying about New York. Um, I think that, that whoever comes in, I hope that they get rid of Gettleman after this year, but they have two first-round picks next year, right? They have theirs and they have Chicago's. Who- and, and what they should is try to go for three. Right, and if you can get a third somehow. Trading Daniel Jones for a first-round pick, I would do it. I would do that. I would do it too. And the thing is, if you can, if you like one of the young quarterbacks, go for it. But if not, then you have three building block pieces. Oh, no, I would not draft quarterback this year. No, no, no. No, no, this is a long-term project. It's only one out of 32 teams that could win the Super Bowl. The Giants are so far from that. And the way to build a tower that could, brick by brick, one day reach the heights of a Super Bowl-caliber franchise is to start with the first biggest bricks. And that's your left tackle. Left tackle, and I'd go get an edge rusher. Right, And then they can move their current left tackle to right tackle. And then you have these two twin tower tackles. That was, that was a lot to say. Wow. That was a major alliteration from the podfather. Congrats to me. That would be the move. See, that then, then all of a sudden you're setting up a quarterback and all the other skill position players for success in 2023 and beyond. I'm with it. I, I mean, I think you can go either way, right? Like, if you really love somebody, like if someone generational or you think is generational falls into your lap, I don't think you pass on them. But other than that, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think like best case scenario for the Giants might be, might be, if they stumble into that top three somehow, I don't think they will. But if they stumble into that top three somehow and uh, that boy Kayvon Thibodeau is there, that's a big, big, big piece that you just unless you're that bad you're never going to get a chance to right it's the Mike Tomlin Chase Young thing where he goes over to him and says you're a freak brother but i hope that i'm never ba- i never have a team bad enough to be able to draft a guy that, like that's you. the Miles Garrett of the 2022 draft class that's what the Browns did you want to follow that Browns playbook well that's what they did before they drafted a quarterback they selected their cornerstone edge rusher to anchor the defense if they could get if they could get Kayvon Thibodeau and an offensive lineman, you're looking pretty good. That would be great. It doesn't even have to be 
a left tackle. You can keep Andrew Thomas at left tackle and draft a right tackle in the middle of the first round. Whatever, man. Whatever. But that's the way to do it. Offensive and defensive line. Invest in the offensive and defensive line and trade Daniel Jones and get as much as you can for him and start an honest, transparent rebuild. The media will respect you and will give you the latitude if you show the deference and the transparency. But so few, so few of these NFL dictators will do that. They're not capable. They're just not capable of it, Anand. You know it. I know. You know and it. I, you and know I think, these guys. I, I think a big part of it, too, that you have to understand is NFL GMs are hearing everything, right? Like They're... They're hearing everything from everybody, and a big part of it is you got to tune all that noise out and figure out what works for you because you've got to have a unified vision, head coach, general manager, owner. You, your vision has to be shared for what you want to do, which is why if you pick and choose, right, if you replace one part of the puzzle, so to speak, they have to fit in properly, which is why I think Judge might be the guy. We don't know. I don't think he's been given a super fair shake yet because no. the roster really isn't that great. He's kind of doomed, by the way. He's doomed because of when he took over, he won't make it to see the fruits of the next rebuild. No coach is able to survive that number of consecutive losing seasons, even if the team is out in the open not trying to win. He will be scapegoated. He will not make it to the end of that tunnel. Because the thing is, at the end of the day, what you're talking about with the rebuild is more of a GM problem than it is a coach problem. It's not Joe Judge's fault that he doesn't have the guys to go beat other teams, right? It's like we talked about before. The GM's job is to assemble the roster. The coach's job is to get whatever the maximum potential out of that roster is. And I think that Joe Judge has the capability to get as much out of this roster as just about anybody yeah, else. Sure, It's just... It's just the roster isn't good, so I don't know what you're expecting of him. I think that the right way to do this is you get rid of Gettleman and you bring in somebody that understands fundamentally how to build a team and you just let them run with it. That's a given. That's a given. And then you have to open up something I like to call a calendar. <laughs> you open up the calendar and you circle the date that you want to start to be competitive. Realistically... This team wouldn't able to be competitive until 2023. Well, in 2023, James Bradbury is going to be 30. And by that time, Saquon Barkley will be multiple years past the age apex. Knowing that, knowing that, you walk in and you immediately put three of your best players on the block. Bradbury, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Get as many picks as you possibly can for these guys and build around players like Andrew Thomas. That's the way to go. That would be the optimal approach if you're interested in winning a Super Bowl as a Giants fan. That's what you would hope, but also know that the likelihood that a Browns or Lions-style rebuild is implemented given the expectations... In New York, it's probably not high. Fleeting. And that, and, and the unfortunate part about that particularly is New York deserves a winner. And God knows it's not going to be the Jets. So <laughs> so at some point, the Giants are going to have to get to, get their act together and be like, look, like, you know. I like the Giants. 
even as a kid, I cheered for Parcells and Belichick and Lawrence Taylor. I loved it. Hostetler came in. I love it. Anytime a backup quarterback can come in and have this fairy tale run, whether it be Nick Foles in Philadelphia or Jeff Hostetler in New York, I, I like the aesthetic of the New York Giants, this big blue machine. I like everything about this team except the current general manager, the coaching staff, and their entire direction. <laughs> Matt means he loves the gift shop and everything that comes with it, but you can keep the rest as of right now. I, I mean, the, the ownership group is great. It, it's, it's really hard to the understand. The Maras! They're, they're great. Just, just great. It's just... For whatever reason, post-Tom Coughlin, they just haven't been able to figure it out. And I think, I, I hope Joe Judge doesn't get scapegoated the way that we think that he will. Because I think there's a lot to like about what he's done. You know, everybody pushed back on the hire when they made it. But go look at the last few games of last season and watch how that team fought for him. Because they weren't fighting for each other. They're fighting for their coach's job. And you watched them really, really, really turn it up a notch last year, even without the talent to really make the noise. So Gettleman's got to be gone. I would keep Joe Judge. Implement a two-year plan in which you find cornerstone left tackle, quarterback, defensive end, however, whatever order you want to do it in, so be it, right? But by 2023, then not only are you competitive, but you have a legitimate chance to be the class of your division every year, a la New England for the last 20 years. And going forward, teams are going to have to make mistakes chasing you. It's a low bar in the NFL. It's a low bar. The odds are that you're the only team in your division that's actually building a franchise the right way. That's the bad luck of Cleveland, is they happen to be in a division with Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Most divisions don't have organizations that are that well-run. No, no, no. And, and that's that's part of the tragedy of being a Browns or a Bengals fan is you've got two super established front offices, ownership groups, head coaches, general managers, and you're just sitting there like, uh, what do we do? It's a tough scene, man. It's a lot easier if in the if you're in the NFC East. <laughs> so much easier. Right? Because you've got you've got the Philly media that's going to rip you to shreds no matter what you do if you're the Eagles unless you win the Super Bowl which only one team can do as we said the Cowboys are always going to be Jerry's baby and run like Jerry's baby is more of a uh, it's the Cowboys are more of a business and more of a marketing team than they are a football team let's be real it's a vanity project it's a, it's a hell of a vanity project it's great for fantasy football it's Jerry Jones personal fantasy team. And it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like, hey, I'm a billionaire. Let me build my fantasy team in real life. We need a corner. All right, go get C.D. Lamb. Why not? <laughs> we need a corner. All right, go get Micah Parsons. Why not? And and it's just, it's if you're Washington, Washington is Washington. One of them is going to make the playoffs and, and good for them. It's there for the taking is all we're saying is there's no Pittsburgh or Baltimore in your division, right? There's no New England. There's no Kansas City. You have the opportunity to be the gatekeeper of that division if you blow it up in time, right? And Washington and Dallas are not going to because they think they can compete now. If you're the Giants or the Eagles, the quicker you blow it up and get to the point where you understand we don't care about competing now. We're competing for 2023. You can run that division on a trajectory like Buffalo is on.
where it's, oh shit, it looks like their division for, for the near future. Did you know that, of course, we know Tampa is the best team in the NFC, but Arizona has a better point differential. Do you know which team has the third best point differential in the NFC? I don't. Guess. Carolina? You're too smart. You look at the show sheet. You're not like some of my other co-hosts. You knew it. You saw it. They've been great. It's been unexpected, man. I mean, uh, we've so far been big wrong on Carolina. We said, hey, you got to go get Justin Fields. It's irresponsible not to. Now, all of a sudden, J.C. Horn looks like a top 10 corner in the league. Sam Darnold has been efficient. And Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer look smarter than Matt Kelly and Anna Naduri. What do you think of this? Look, I would hope that guys that are paid millions of dollars to do what they do are better than us at it, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> that's the that's the goal. But a big part. Oh, come of- on, come on, man, come on. That you, that's a cop out answer. It's not a cop out answer. The honest truth is, Darnold was thought to be a reclamation project that would take time, right? And it's clear that the Adam Gase theory is absolutely one thousand percent real. Ryan Tannehill looks like a different quarterback. Every running back that gets out of there looks like a different running back. Every receiver that was there looks like a different receiver. And now Sam Darnold looks like this. Robbie Anderson looks like this. It's just, it's hard to believe how quickly Carolina was able to turn it around. Um, But a lot of credit has to go to that defense, man. Brian Burns looks like a world beater. Like, uh, J.C. Horn looks incredible. That defense is really, really, really good. And now suddenly. Actually, I'm in two dynasty leagues where we actually start a defense. And I went out and I bid big in the fab auction bidding. In, in You know, just submitting free agent auction bids this week to get Carolina because I want them against Houston. I want this Carolina team against Davis Mills. I can't wait. Now, I don't love the game. The game conditions are awful. They're dreadful. You can't expect anyone to score many fantasy points in this game unless it's via a Carolina blowout. That could happen, but probably something closer to like 24-3 where it's just not that exciting. But but I, I have to say, though, this, this idea of drafting J.C. Horn does make some sense because they were swinging for the fences. This was an upside pick. Incredible size-adjusted workout metrics for J.C. Horn. We're talking about 92nd percentile speed score. We're talking about 96th percentile burst score. Best comparable to Jalen Ramsey because he's 6'1", 205 with 33-inch arms. So they just said, hey, you know what? We really we, we, we love Justin Fields, Mac Jones, but you also need great cornerback play and great edge rushers to compete. So we're going to go ahead and get this guy. Eventually, we need to fill all these pieces in to be a championship contender. And we may not get a chance to draft a guy like J.C. Horn again. We're going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, and especially if Darnold is as good as they think he can be, right? The odds that you're in the draft area to select a guy like that again is probably slim to none. I can't believe it. It is easier. I mean, this is something we've discussed on multiple shows the quarterback position is overvalued in that it's more difficult to acquire a left tackle 
a truly game-impacting edge rusher or a truly game-impacting cornerback. Right. Those guys almost never come available. I mean, Arizona was so lucky that somehow, someway, Chandler Jones got on the wrong side of Bill Belichick. That's the worst player personnel loss other than Tom Brady the Patriots have experienced the last 10 years. Imagine if they had Chandler Jones. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, I, I, and just goes to show you, right? Like, nobody, nobody, nobody cared about Tampa's front four. Nobody. And Dominic Sue was a relative throwaway. People liked Vita Vea. JPP was a guy with three fingers that people were making memes about. Yeah, normally, yes, normally, the only way you can get an edge rusher in free agency is if he blows his hand off. Or Shaq Barrett, where nobody thought he would be any good, and suddenly, out of nowhere, Shaq Barrett leads the NFL in sacks. Who saw that coming? I think it's more possible, more possible than ever, because the quarterback position is getting deeper. This may be the way to go. This Carolina blueprint, maybe it is, is looking a lot more rational than I thought it was a month ago. I mean, congratulations. I mean, congrats. I mean, congratulations. If, if I were to start a franchise today, I might actually go lineman, edge rusher, corner before bringing in the quarterback. That may be the way to go because if you have a franchise corner, edge rusher, and left tackle. At that point, you can pretty much fill in the rest of the pieces without first-round picks. Yeah, and the thing is, it does. your quarterback typically is going to have to be a high draft pick, right? More often than not, those are the success stories that we hear about. But when you draft a quarterback matters a lot, too. Like, Zach Wilson is, is in a situation to fail right now in New York. And it's not his fault, right? Like... He he didn't ask to be taken there. He didn't ask, you know, when we went through in the summer and we're talking about players and teams that were great fits, well, Trevor Lawrence is going to work just about anywhere, right? Trey Lance in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan as his head coach and the run game stuff that they're going to come up with is going to be incredible. When? When is that going to happen? When? I think like week eight, nine. That That's the problem, right? That's the problem is that the week schedule early will allow Jimmy Garoppolo to hold on to this job for a half season, making all of you that drafted Trey Lance ahead of Matthew Stafford in best ball. And I know, I'm looking at you. I know you did it. You did it, and it was a mistake. It's one of those situations where I think they really, 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 really believe that Jimmy is the right guy for the job to begin with and that Trey needs time. But... He's one of those guys where he is talented enough and there is enough around him that if they ask him to go full Zach Wilson, I think he could handle it. That's a perfect comp. Zach Wilson is some combination of Carson Wentz and Jimmy Garoppolo because comparing him just to Carson Wentz isn't enough because Carson Wentz is just a different player. They're not as physically identical as Zach Wilson is to Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo was Zach Wilson at Eastern Illinois. Yeah, and, and the, the thing is, he wasn't taken in the first round, and he wasn't drafted to immediately be the guy. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Where Jimmy Garoppolo got drafted is where a guy like Zach Wilson should be drafted because Jimmy Garoppolo had that. He has that wrist thing. He has that ability. He just has all these other flaws mechanically that'll prevent him from ever being a top quarterback in the league. That's why they went out and drafted Trey Lance. Well, this is what we're dealing with 
with Zach Wilson as well. I can't believe we're bringing it back to Zach. I can't believe we're bringing it back to Zach Wilson. But I wanted to also ask you the question: The Bills have the best point differential in the AFC. Do you know who has the second best point differential in the AFC? The team is two and zero, just like Carolina, and they had the exact same philosophy and strategy in the first round. They decided to go Sertan instead of Mac Jones or Justin Fields, and it's working out. It's working out. Teddy Bridgewater, the ultimate bridge quarterback, Bridgewater is a bridge quarterback. You get what I'm doing here? Are you picking this up? Maybe a little bit. A little bit? A little bit? So you have the bridge quarterback in Bridgewater. You have the bridge quarterback in Sam Darnold using that top 10 pick on a cornerback that you're not going to be able to get in free agency. They don't come available, and you have to have a very high draft pick to get them in the draft. So they said, you know what? We're going to push the button now because we can actually make it work at quarterback without investing a first-round pick. Two teams did that in the top 10, and it's working out swimmingly for both teams. This is shocking to me. This is shocking. I mean, good for them. I, I was wrong about this. I disagreed with the approach. I said, you got to get either Justin Fields or Mac Jones there. I thought it should have gone Fields-Jones, and neither would have been available for Chicago, but it didn't. And now, with hindsight, I could say, well, okay, maybe. Okay, we'll see how it goes. Uh, maybe, may- maybe that was the right move. Okay. It's a situation where... I think they might have seen something in Bridgewater and in Darnold to the point where they were like, hey, we need to see what our roster looks like with these shutdown corners. We think they're the missing pieces on defense. And we'll figure out what our, what our offensive skill players are. And if they're as good as we think they are, they can elevate these bridge quarterbacks. Because, I mean, Darnold and Bridgewater look really, really good through two weeks. So... Is the schedule the most difficult? No. But at the same time, the mark of a good team is beating the teams that you should. If a good team beats all the teams that they should beat, they're going to make the playoffs every year. That's how the NFL works. There's a reason we have high turnover. It's because there aren't a lot of really good teams. I am highly anticipating the possibility that Carolina and Denver make the playoffs. I want to see what it looks like. I want to see what because I remember the run that Nick Foles went on in the playoffs three years ago with Philadelphia. And it was just fun. Yeah, it was, it was just fun, fun to watch, right? The coaching staff has to get more creative with the play calling. The team itself just has to run pure, has to stay healthy. But it's possible. It's just fun. It's fun to see what's possible with replacement-level quarterbacks. They're literally replacement-level you could get these guys for a second-round pick. That is the definition of a replacement-level quarterback. What can you do with that guy? I'm excited to see it. I'm also excited for the Bears to unleash Justin Fields just the same. What do you think it's going to look like this week? Justin Fields, a full week to prepare against the Browns at, at Cleveland. It's a tricky situation. I wouldn't ideally thrust him into that spot, but it's what's happening. It's what's happening, and I think this is just my thought process, and I haven't heard anything refuting this, but I think the plan was always start Andy Dalton through week three, and if Justin's ready week four, let him go. Because you didn't want him to play at L.A. to be his first start against Ramsey and Donald. That's a lot to ask. Then you got Miles Garrett in the Browns defense. That's a lot to ask. Um, but, But I think that you'll start to see flashes of what the Bears' offense could look like. I don't think they're going to win. 
I don't think they're going to cover. I think that that Cleveland's just better than they are, um, especially going on the road. Like that, that's a really tall ask of a rookie quarterback to do. They might get blown out. Yeah, but I think you'll see flashes of what the Bears' offense can be with him in there. And I think you're going to walk out of there if you're a Bears fan and saying, okay, at least I know the future is good. We didn't draft Trubisky 2.0. This kid's going to be really good. I I think that's the prevailing thought walking out of week three and potentially week four. I'm giddy. I'm giddy to see it. I want to see him play. I'm very excited. With a week to prepare, I'm not worried about last week's struggles. Let's see what he looks like this week. He has Allen Robinson. He has Darnell Mooney. Those are quality weapons. I want to see how he uses them. The Rams got a great gift in that they got that quarterback that's rarely available. Never available, Matt. They're never available. In Matthew Stafford. I mean, it's just it's never available. But you look around the league, Rams upgraded their quarterback in trade or free agency, as did the Panthers, as did the Broncos. And a bunch of other teams upgraded through the draft, like the Patriots and the Jaguars. A lot of shifting of quarterback assets into optimal situations around the league. How happy was Sean McVay after that first day of practice seeing what he's going to be able to do with Matthew Stafford? He's got to be over the moon, right? Because there are quarterbacks that can execute an offense that you put in front of them. Everything's got to be right. You put them in front of a brilliant scheme, very good O-line, good running game, good weapons, and you get an MVP season out of Matt Ryan, who's very, very good. Then there is a class of quarterbacks above those that can make something happen out of nothing, that can be late on throws and still get it there on time, that can diagnose things and check you out of bad plays, that can understand, okay, I can throw this ball 60 yards in the air, have the arm talent to do it, but also leave it so leave it hanging a little bit so that so that your receiver can run under it instead of the Jared Goff moon balls, which he threw a beautiful deep ball, right? But they would tend to at some point be just inaccurate enough that it would cause problems. That first throw, that really that first touchdown pass of Stafford's career shows you exactly what the Rams want to do that they didn't do before. Everything was very concise. It was within a, a 0 to 20-yard window. They were playing chess within that window. And now with the addition of Stafford and Deshaun Jackson, which at some point will be, you know, he's good for a couple of those a year where he just outruns everybody. Well, they have Van Jefferson now. And Van Jefferson. Yeah. I, I My worry is that I overdrafted Tyler Higby thinking this was the Rams offense, and the Rams offense typically features Tyler Higby, but Matthew Stafford doesn't need to use the tight end. No. Matthew Stafford essentially is just throwing lasers to whoever he wants. He's just, mm. he is having the, him and Sean are having the time of their lives back there because Stafford never had a coach or an offense that had this much talent. And, for all he can, he loves he loved Jared Goff allegedly, um, with Sean McVay, right? It's it's got to be day one of practice. You're sitting there and you're like, oh my god, my quarterback can make every throw, literally every throw, right? Like, I mean, there are some throws that Stafford makes with the sidearm, just throwing absolute missiles thirty yards down the field, where you're just like. How many guys can do that? Three, four, maybe, and we have one of them? And all it cost was was Jared Goff and picks? 
what? Like, Matthew Stafford doesn't come available. Everybody knows Matthew Stafford's really good. The question was, is he elite? Is he just really good, and is he a guy that fills up the stat sheet, or is he elite? Through two games, I think you have your answer. The larger takeaway is that quarterback talent has never been more available outside the NFL draft. The Broncos and the Panthers recognized this and decided to forego quarterback at pick 8-9 and nine in what looked to be blunders. Now we look up and we see, oh, maybe quarterback supply has reached a level where teams can get away with not drafting them in the top 10. It's crazy that we're in that place potentially, but through two weeks, we're trending in that direction, which makes me wonder what Atlanta is going to do moving forward because Atlanta has stumbled into this rebuild. And then you look up and they're down big in the second half and they're running the ball on it. They're not even trying to win. Are they now officially out in the open tanking? Or is it too early? It might be too early to call it a tank, but it's absolutely a rebuild that they didn't want. It's a rebuild they didn't want. Their assumption was, we're going to reload around Matt Ryan and give this thing another go. Uh, I hate to be the one to break the news. I love Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's not the same quarterback he was four years ago. And the NFL has kind of passed him by. Well, no, no, I say no. I know what's going to happen now. Now we know Matt Ryan's future. He's going to get traded. He's going to get traded to some team that decides that they can rebuild on the fly without investing a top 10 pick on a quarterback. Right. I think that's his destiny. Well, the question becomes, you're going to have to put a lot around Matt Ryan, just the way that things work now, in order for that to work out, right? The O-line's got to be very good because he's not the most mobile of guys. And you've got to put weapons around him and you got to protect him a little bit with the run game. I got it. I got it. You ready? Are you ready? There's a team that is ready to start winning in 2022, and all they're missing is the quarterback. It's official now. They're missing this quarterback. They're missing this piece. And they had an opportunity, famously, to draft Matt Ryan number one overall, and they passed in favor of an offensive lineman, which I didn't even hate at the time. Do you know the team? I can't remember who it is. With the first overall selection in the NFL draft, the Miami Dolphins Oh, did not select Matt Ryan. Oh, They selected Jake Long in that draft. Jake Long actually went before Matt Ryan, and Matt Ryan was viewed as the consensus number one overall player in the draft, even though he wasn't actually that productive at BC. It was a traditional pro-style offense that did not, emphasize the passing game at all for them to finally write that wrong 15 years later would be so apropos I hope it happens I really I I want it to happen because Tua is trending toward bust he's trending towards we can't rely on him to be on the field forget what he looks like when he's on the right because he doesn't have that he doesn't have that thing that Russell Wilson has that sixth sense when He's about to be in danger getting down or getting rid of the ball. He's not doing that. Right. And that is a critical piece that is underreported that quarterbacks need to have that. And if they can't, they're going to end up being flushed out of the league 
somehow, some way, whether it's with injury or ineffectiveness. And this is where Tua is trending. I have him in a couple dynasty leagues, and he is on the block. I'm actively shopping him. He is a sell-low candidate in dynasty, especially two quarterback and super flex leagues. Yeah, and I mean, the other team that immediately came to mind when you were talking about that for Matt Ryan is Washington, right? Because you want a team that's ready to win. And Washington's pretty much a, a quarterback away from from really, really entering that echelon of, well, the defense held Brady last year. If they could have just gotten a little more from the offense, um, I think that one makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Miami would be a really, really good fit. Yeah. They can right the wrong, man. Right the 15-year wrong, Miami. Let's do this. That'd be so much fun. Week one, starting quarterback, Miami Dolphins. Welcome. Matt Ryan. Week one, starting quarterback, Miami Dolphins. Welcome, Matt Ryan. That's the show. That's the show. That's the show. He looked good in teal and orange. I love those jerseys, by the way. The Dolphins jerseys are some of my favorites. They're gorgeous. They're so good. Matt Ryan, not gorgeous. The jerseys, though. The jerseys are. I mean, he got the bare minimum aesthetic. He got the bare minimum from that Atlanta aesthetic. Right, the the difference between Matt Ryan and pretty much any other quarterback in the Atlanta uniform is just underwhelming. It's why, you know, we were hoping for Justin Fields in that uniform that would have been so sexy. Oh my god. If we got Justin with the visor and the in the dirty birds jerseys, yeah, yeah. Like, I love those jerseys. We just need someone else in those jerseys. We need someone sexy in the Falcons jersey. Agreed. And the the thing is, give me Maddie Corral. Give me Maddie Corral in ATL Black. I would love to see it. I would love to see it. It was funny because I was, you know, I was having these back and forths on email, and she was sending me these these mock-ups and and so forth. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's that's not bad. Like blah blah. I was like, you know what would be nice though? What if the dog was with Nate in the spaceship? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. You know, and I just, I was just laughing. Like, she and I were laughing. Like, we were taking this seriously. And then at one point, I took a step back, and I was like, did I just write this professional artist? Can she put the dog in the spaceship with my cartoon buddy? Well, that's just how these things go, right? Like, thankful that I had that self-awareness at that moment. This poor woman. (laughs) Well, I mean, she did a fantastic job. She did a great job. But no, she was like, no, 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 this is fun. This is a, this is what it is. Like, not every painting has to be super serious, you know, sending a message. It can just be, you know, a fun caricature of, you know, your whole, you know, brand. And, and, right. And, and I was like, yeah, that's what it is. 
I love it. And I mean, it should be, right? Like, because everything else it's is fantasy games. football. It's not supposed to be serious. It's not a political statement. There's <laughs> a dude in a fucking spaceship getting away from me throwing lightning bolts. Yeah. And a dog. Shout out underdog. With his dog. <laughs> the beauty is that Nate's actual dog looks a little bit like the underdog dog. That's hilarious. So it's it's all good. That's so it's good. It's all good. And he's like getting it. And that's like his actual Twitter avatar. And it look but it looks like a bad guy. That's just it's too good. It's too good. Especially the way you're oriented right now where it looks like like something's coming out of your head. <laughs> I know. I know. It's really it's something else. It really is something else. You know what I want to do? I want to do something crazy today. I, I want to pull up something we don't go to enough. We're going to pull up the standings. Oh, interesting. I think we pull up the standings. Our favorite GMs have started off on the wrong foot. Yeah, not ideal. Your guy, Chris Ballard, 0-2. My guy, Rick Spielman, 0-2. Yeah. Not good. We, we didn't like the Raiders. They look all right. <laughs> we shit on the Raiders. <laughs> they look all right. They just needed an average defense, man. We've been saying Seattle is somehow in last place in their division, which is crazy. New Orleans is going to have to tank. You think they're going to have to tank? If they're actually not good, we don't know what they are. We have no idea what they are. If they're third place in their division and they're in transition and they don't have a quarterback and they're over the cap and all these things. It's going to be a tough sell. At some point in midseason, they're going to have to figure out what they want to do. That win against the Packers may have been the worst thing that could have happened in New Orleans. It might have delayed them coming to Jesus on what they really are. Yeah, and I think that the fact that they just gobsmacked, they went around pretty much fucked up Green Bay is like, a, you don't see that very often, right? Like, you don't see that happen to Green Bay unless you're a Super Bowl caliber team. They're very, very weird. Anytime you have that much talent on a team, you can steal a week like that. But man... It's hard, it's hard to evaluate them when it looks that good. Sean's going to go after Jamel Dean <laughs> this Sunday, I think. So. I hope so. Oh, I mean, it, that's going to be... That's got game of the year potential. You think? Yeah. I was thinking the other game is the game of the year potential. Chargers-Chiefs. Oh, I think that one's up there, too. Oh, my God. We get that one twice. Oh, my God. We get that one twice, which is going to be awesome. I mean, I, I really hope that... At some point, we get San Fran and Trey Lance out there because those Rams-Niners games or Rams-Niners-Cardinals-Seahawks, any of those division games are just going to be freaking nuts. J.C. Horn's playing amazing. Yeah, he is. We criticize that pick. If Darnold works out, then they did the right thing. But, you know, that's a big gamble to take. Well, with Fields on the board, it was too big of a gamble. I, think, I agree with you. It's just we're not going to know who's right or wrong for that for years. Like, unless Darnold flames out near one and Justin Fields is a world beater. J.C. Horn's really good. He is really good. And I, and I don't think our... Because it, it was a surprise when they when they went J.C. Horn over the other corner. Over Sertan, yeah. Because Sertan was you know, the Alabama guy that everybody knew. His dad played in the league forever. Yeah. Right, he had the higher floor, but J.C. Horn, 6'1", 205... 92nd percentile speed score, 96th percentile burst score, best comparable to Jalen Ramsey. He had the higher ceiling. And yeah. oh my God, he's young. He's just, he's a beast. 92nd percentile arm length, 33-inch arms. He built in a lab. 
I guess he's just that good, man. You don't find many like that, right? That was it. That was it. They were like, well, you got a quarterback built in a lab or a cornerback built in a lab in J.C. Horn. We'll go with that direction if we can get Sam Darnold for a second rounder. And they did. Yeah, I think, Matt, like the, the really weird part for me watching football this week or two, the last two weekends is look at what happens to a Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, whatever offense you want to call it, Kyle Shanahan offense. When you get a quarterback in there that can be late and has the arm talent to make up for it. Because the offense is going to create super easy throws for you, right? But now you've got a guy that can be late and get it there on time, which is nuts because now it looks entirely different. I think that that Sunday night opener where the Bears just looked hapless and helpless against the Rams was kind of a holy shit, like maybe Matthew Stafford is what everybody thinks he is. Because there was a lot of dissension there. Like there were a lot of people that were like, eh, he's fine. And then a lot of people like, eh, he's an MVP. I'm actually going to open the show talking about Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. Okay. We're trending wrong in a lot of areas, which yeah. I love. We're going we're gonna to sink into that. Yeah, why not? But I want to start off with something where we were actually right. Yeah. Got to take the good with the bad. Mac Jones is good. So we'll, 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 just, we'll just get it started. Uh, we'll do our thing. Okay, go for it. The whole production of the game is not engineered to make you look good, Zach. His mom is an interesting character. He's not ready and you just didn't want to have a backup plan. He might just stink. Apparently they wanted Kadarius Tony too. Guys, there's a dude in a fucking spaceship getting away from me throwing lightning bolts. Guys, we were hiding under our desk. He's got to have a plan, right? And I don't know what the plan is. Everybody's some version of Carson Wentz. Matt means he loves the gift shop and everything that comes with it, but you can keep the rest. You can't corral this guy. You can't, you can't, you, see the thing is, Anand, you can't corral him. He's got to have a plan, right? And I don't know what the plan is. Tua is trending toward bust. Guys, and they don't call. They don't fucking call. You don't call him? How do you not call him? Teddy Bridgewater, the ultimate bridge quarterback. Bridgewater is a bridge quarterback. Get what I'm doing here? <laughs> I didn't even look at the show sheet. Yeah, normally, yes, normally, the only way you can get an edge rusher in free agency is if he blows his hand off. Guys, this show is about NFL front offices, not fantasy football, brah. If you're Washington, Washington is Washington. See, the thing is, Anand, you can't corral him. If you're Washington, Washington is Washington. It's Jerry Jones' personal fantasy team. He's not ready, and you just didn't want to have a backup plan. 
he might just stink. 